Football is back, and Domino's Hawaii couldn't be more excited. Our community has been through a lot this year, and so to show our appreciation for all your efforts and sacrifice, we'd like to do our part in helping you enjoy the games by offering large specialty pizzas for $15.99 and our new buffalo wings for $5.99. Just log on to the Domino's Hawaii website or app, and remember, while you watch your favorite team, you can be assured that our team continues to make your health and safety a top priority. How's it going, everybody? We welcome you back to another episode of the Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Lehi and Jordan Helly podcast. We've been on a little bit of a hiatus. It's 2020. Things happen, but we're back and we're ready to roll. At least I am. Uh, Kanoa unavailable this week. Uh, he'll, he'll be back soon. Fear not. And so what better way to uh, kind of fill the void than to get one of our regular buddies, one of our favorite guests on the old radio show, one Brian McInnes, who is not just the interview subject of this, our 47th episode of the LTS pod, but also going to be our first ever guest host, BMAC. How are you doing? And uh, how do you feel about being the first ever guest host on this year pod? Jordan, it is, it is an honor, my friend. I'm, I'm happy to be here. And honestly, I feel a little bit like uh, if you've seen Talladega Nights when Cal Naughton Jr. moves in with <laughs> Ricky Bobby's family and immediately just crosses off Ricky Bobby's face in the family pictures and kind of paste a, a picture of himself on there instead. That's me right now. So I'm appreci- appreciative of the, the uh, you know, opportunity to cross podcasts here and, and uh, help, help keep this thing moving, man. Yeah, what do the kids say? It's the, it's the crossover event you didn't know you wanted and you didn't know you needed. Uh, but here we are. Brian McInnes of the Court Sense podcast is the guest host for this. So BMAC, we like to warm things up with a little easy topic, a little poo-poo, if you will, for the local fans. Uh, And college basketball is actually starting this Wednesday. That's right. We're going to get there somehow, some way. Games have already been canceled. Games have already been postponed. Uh, But I I imagine at least two teams will meet on a court someplace on Wednesday to kick off or at least tip off the college basketball season. A combination of Gonzaga, Baylor, Villanova make up the top three in both the AP and the coaches poll. And so I pose this question to you, BMAC, to – Get your feet wet on the Let's Talk Ports podcast. Uh, who is your favorite college hoops player ever? You can give us maybe a UH guy and then maybe a, a non-University of Hawaii player during your time, uh, both covering it and as just a fan. Man, it's, that's tough, Jordan. You know, I, I was lucky enough to, to be able to cover college hoops for the Star Advertiser for a good, you know, dozen years there, give or take. And so many, you know, you, you see so many different teams, so many different players come through this, both the Stan Sheriff Center and you're watching remotely, right, a lot of those games uh, that UH is playing on the road. So I had to really kind of think about this one, man. Uh, as far as UH itself goes, you know, the team that really kind of got me into sports writing specifically was the 2001-02 NCAA tournament team. You know, the Rainbow Warriors going back-to-back to the NCAAs in 2001 and 2002 and that 02 team you know, fair to say was the superior of those two teams deeper. I think more guys firing on all cylinders between Savo English, you know, Mike McIntyre coming off the bench, Mark Campbell running the show. My favorite guy on that team, however, was one Mindaugas Berneka coming off the yes. bench, you know, hard nosed player, uh, you know, doing the dirty work, give you double digit scoring 
off the bench, like I said, and could hit the three. So I think he was, um, you know, a, a little bit of a jack of all trades for them. That was my favorite guy on that team. So I will go with Mendogas Berneka somehow instead of Carl English or Sabo or any of those guys. Um, as far as college hoops in general, man, I, I thought about it. I couldn't go with anyone besides Steph Curry and Davidson in 2008, uh, you know, shooting his way to, into the lead eight, amazingly topping teams like, you know, Gonzaga, Wisconsin. It was, it was pretty unbelievable. And it was kind of a foreshadowing of the direction the sport would take. Right. I mean, just the way that spacing and shooting has become increasingly valued. He was ahead of the curve there. And he was just an incredible player, even at that time as a scrawny 150 pounds, soaking wet guy in a red Davidson uniform. So those would be my picks, man. That is great. I, I love the Mendogis pick because the, that team was loaded, absolutely loaded. And my favorite UH player actually comes from that. So I, I go glitz. You go hardworking, sort of gritty <laughs> University of Hawaii, like classic Riley Wallace player, right? Berninkus and, and, and the Mad Dog is your guy. But I, I got to go Carl English. Those are so, I, I think we sort of overlap a bit in sort of our formative years of, of University of Hawaii hoops fandom, college basketball fandom. Uh, as well. Uh, so yeah, I go Carl English, it, Savo. I think a lot of people, I am Savo, right? You've had him on your court sense podcast. Be sure to check that out. Basically wherever you can get your pods. Great interview, by the way, with Savo, that was a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, I'm going Carl English uh, for, for my university of Hawaii, Steph Curry, like, right. He could shoot it from, from Newfoundland basically and, and hit <laughs> as, soon, as soon as he got in the gym. Uh, and, and so many fond memories. That team was so fun. The style of play, the wide open nature, uh, the, all the threes that they would hit. Uh, and of course, the back-to-back NCAA tournament runs. And my favorite college basketball player, non-University of Hawaii, no secret, I'm a Duke fan. Uh, and right around the same time, Jason Williams, the artist formerly known as Jason Williams, now Jay Williams, ESPN analyst for both the NBA and college basketball, uh, was on his way to National Player of the Year. Uh, right around the turn of the century, won a national championship at Duke. He was just so much fun to watch. He was so cool. He was as good as they came on the college level. I like to think that he would have been really good in the pros had he not wrecked his Yamaha motorcycle, uh, you know, was that that second year for the Bulls. Uh, And so, yeah, he was was one of my favorites and always one of the best what-if guys. So I I love your your suggestion. Steph Curry looked like he was 12. Uh, and I did not think, as fun as he was, I didn't think that he was going to go on and win a couple of MVPs uh, and, and, and do what he has done in the pros. So that's uh, that's our warm-up there. Uh, and we do want to make sure that we welcome our guy, Brian McInnes, to the show. Again, not just our main guest today, but our first-ever guest host here on the Let's Talk Sports podcast. Kanoa, unavailable this week. Uh, he will be back soon, though. Uh, you can catch Brian on Twitter at Brian underscore McKinnis. He is the host of the court sense podcast. Again, you can find that just about anywhere you find our podcast as well. Formerly the beat writer of the university of Hawaii men's and women's basketball programs, the women's soccer program at the university of Hawaii for the Honolulu star advertiser also covered a plethora of other events, prep sports, many other assignments, including the Maui invitational. And this is the week that you would have been here BMAC that I am used to having you, uh, here on the island and hanging out at the Lahaina Civic Center, as well as hanging out afterward uh, around the watering hole, if you will. And uh, that is another thing that 2020 has taken away from us. But we are reuniting over the Zoom as we record this podcast. Uh, so, BMAC, we know you were maybe transitioning here a little bit onto some 
some different work assignments, if you will, but uh, we appreciate you hanging out with us and uh, joining the pod here today. Oh man, no, it's truly my pleasure. And um, if, you know, Kanoa wasn't able to, you know, be here today, he is definitely here in spirit at least. And I'll do my utmost to, uh, you know, uphold the high standard of one Kanoa Leahy on this podcast. But yeah, man, I'm missing seeing you guys in person over there on the Valley Isle, you know, Maui Invitational time every year. I, I could always count on being there. And it, it was one of the best things I got to do on that job, to be quite honest. You know, just seeing the caliber of players, teams come in like clockwork, it truly left me spoiled. You know, not to say that it wasn't uh, enjoyable covering the University of Hawaii and, and the Big West opponents and who they would bring in for their non-conference schedule. But it's it honestly felt like two different sports at times with the with the caliber of teams that would you would see there, the, the Blue Bloods. I mean, just making their presence felt, their fan base is coming out en masse and making the Lahaina Civic Center shake to its foundations. It was hard to beat. And uh, I'm, I'm sad that it's, you know, not only that I'm not there hanging out with you guys this week, that, but also it's um, in North Carolina, in Asheville, North Carolina. And that event is actually miraculously held up, been intact as far as the field goes, the dates, you know, it's as far as I know, or we can say right now, it's going to go, go off and happen. Uh, whereas a lot of other multi-team events in college hoops have already had numerous cancellations, teams swapping in and out, dates changing, sites changing. It's been a model of stability by comparison. So at least we should have that to be thankful for. Yeah, without a doubt. And we will delve a little deeper into some of our favorite Maui Invitational memories once we get to the main portion of today's pod. But now that we've got things warmed up, we're ready for game time. All right, BMAC, ready for game time. Here we start last week Saturday at the Aloha Stadium with another national TV nightmare. That's right, the University of Hawaii football program once again falls on national television. It's sort of been their bugaboo. Not a great record over the years when they've been on the national television spotlight. They fall to 2-3 and three on the season after a ninth straight defeat to Boise State. 40-32 to 32 the final score in that one. Boise takes control in the second and third quarters. Uh, the middle portion of that game outscoring Hawaii 37-14. to 14. This was a game where Avery Williams, who's actually a starting corner for the Broncos, had 192 all-purpose yards. That's right, a huge 99-yard kickoff return. That came immediately after Hawaii had cut Boise State's lead to 10 following the opening drive of the second half. It was a bit of a backbreaker in a sense. Running back Andrew Van Buren rushed for a career-high 113 yards. For the Broncos, receiver Khalil Shakir hauled in two touchdowns and a career-high 11 catches for 130 total yards. On the flip side, for the University of Hawaii, the Rainbow Warriors once again struggled to find a rhythm offensively until the second half as Chevin Cordero for the game went 25 of 48 for 253 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, the first half in the three losses for the Rainbow Warriors, three points against Boise, shut out a week prior against San Diego State, and then that Friday night in Laramie put up just seven against Wyoming. Just gives you kind of an indication of the rough first halves that this group has gone through. Calvin Turner continued to be one of the main bright spots for the University of Hawaii. Two spectacular TD catches, major yards after catch. This guy is dynamic and special with the balls in his hand. He all, ball in his hands. He also had 90 yards rushing on 18 carries. But again, the slow starts and offensive inconsistency have plagued the Bows, who finished the season with 5-0 Nevada this coming Saturday at home 
a road trip to 4-0 San Jose State. That's right, 4-0 San Jose State, who sits near the top of the conference, and then they finish three weeks from now at home against 0-4 UNLV at Aloha Stadium. BMAC, part of your old assignments when you were with the Honolulu Star Advertiser, we're covering a lot of those University of Hawaii games at Aloha Stadium. This is year one under Todd Graham. What has been your impression so far in year one under this new regime? Well, man, first of all, it's, it's weird not being there for a home University of Hawaii football game. I mean, of course, I wouldn't be traveling with the team a la a Steven Tsai or a Ferd Lewis. You know, those are the guys who were earmarked for basically all their road trips as the beat writer and the columnist. I was kind of a, you know, support, sidebar, miscellaneous guy for the UH basketball, I'm sorry, UH football coverage at Aloha Stadium. But I was still there in the press box. You know, I was right there next to those guys, next to my boss, Paul Arnett, looking down basically from, you know, the the 50-yard line level raised way up high in that rickety old press box. And it just feels weird that I'm on my couch at home watching a game, uh, you know, like like, – everyone else is used to. And, and it's just something that I will have to get used to as part of kind of the next, this next chapter of my life. But, um, and it's also of course, weird to see the place totally vacant aside from those cardboard cutouts that for whatever reason, were like, I don't know, 25 rows up in the stands and not totally down there by field level. But to your question about Todd Graham, uh, I, I honestly don't have a great feel for the guy yet. I'm for once I'm, you know, I'm not, on the Zoom calls, I'm not along with the regular media as far as his regular press conferences, so I haven't gathered that level of expertise or experience with him yet. But my overall impressions, I mean, he. speaking of impressions, he kind of seems like a guy doing a permanent George W. Bush impression. That's, you know, something that uh, I just hear in my, my ear every time he talks. But, uh, you know, the, his moment that probably stands out to me the most right now is I believe it was the, the New Mexico game at Aloha Stadium. Uh, it was during a, a between plays or a dead ball. He just flipped out at the guy on the, the uh, play flip cards on the sideline. It looked like maybe a player or a staff member was having trouble flipping the, the cue cards on the sideline. Did you see that clip of him just, I did, just yeah. raging on the guy? Um, you know, for whatever reason, that's, that's the moment that stands out to me the most so far. You know, and he's also got that giant wooden chain around his neck. Um, he does. I, yeah. I haven't totally gotten used to seeing that yet. So, uh, to me, it's still a little bit of a curious union between him, you know, given his previous stops and, and just kind of modus operandi of, of kind of hopping around from team to team and the university of Hawaii, maybe at some point I'll be more accustomed to the thought of, him being the UH football coach, but I'm not quite there yet. Yeah, and it's been a bit of a roller coaster, right, this season, uh, alternating wins and losses through the first four games. They suffer their first consecutive defeats to San Diego State a week, a little over a week ago, and then against Boise just this past weekend. And obviously, this was going to be the meat of the schedule where you were playing San Diego State, Boise State, and then Nevada in consecutive weeks. And obviously what San Jose State presents sort of on the back end of all of that undefeated right now are the Spartans. And, and yeah, for Todd Graham, right, he, he's a defensive guy. He is a, a Texan as well. I, I think that 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 um, cadence oh, yeah. that you hear from him, right, he is a guy that is deep from the heart of Texas and, and has a lot of ties there and a, a lot of potential recruiting ties there as well. And, and some of the guys that he has brought in uh, transfers and the like that uh, I think can be pretty fruitful for the university of Hawaii. And I think, you know, for, for, for a guy who has hung his hat on the defensive side of the football, a guy who has also paired that with high flying 
high-scoring offenses over the years. I think the defense has really been good enough, in my opinion. Uh, I think they have gotten better throughout the course of this short, young season, really, so far, right? They held Boise to just three points with less than six minutes to go to, uh, le- left to go in that second quarter in the opening half with little help from the offense. Uh, shut out Boise in the fourth quarter this past Saturday to keep the University of Hawaii in the game. And sure, they gave up 40 points. One of those came on a kick return. One of them came basically on a short field after a turnover. Uh, but the 15 tackles for loss at San Diego State, just six second-half points in that game as well. Again, with not much help from the offense. Gave up just 10 first-half points at Wyoming. Kept them in the ball game. Four takeaways at Fresno obviously were huge uh, in that game where arguably Hawaii has looked the best. Funny enough, was the very first game of this weird COVID year, right? Uh, the negatives, of course, they haven't been perfect. They've, they've given up big plays. That's really what has been their downfall. Uh, 38-yard touchdown pass late in the half against Boise. It was a 3-3 ball game at that point. The 51- and 62-yard touchdown runs by San Diego State that really blew that thing open in the first half. A 52-yard touchdown pass to start the game against New Mexico, a game which they trailed 20-7 to at one point. Uh, again, kind of goes back to the slow start. So limiting the big play has been critical for this UH defense, but to expect them to be a lights-out, shutdown defense it is pretty unrealistic. I mean, it's college football in 2020. Teams are scoring points all over the place. Uh, but we've seen really good efforts by guys like Justice Tavai, Jonah Laulu, Blessman Ta'ala up front against bigger offensive lines. They've been serviceable against the run. Again, giving up that big play has really, I think, negated and nullified a lot of their efforts. Uh, Darius Mouassal is really good at linebacker, and his play is matching the hype. Uh, another dude who looks like he's still 15 years old but plays like a, a grown man out there. Quentin Frazier has been terrific. The transfer from Division II Azusa Pacific, sort of that hybrid outside linebacker position. Uh, they need help from the other side of the ball, though, and we can get into the offense as we go. But, uh, BMAC, did you have any thoughts on sort of what we're seeing from the defensive side of the football so far uh, here for Todd Grant? Defensive-wise, I mean, they've they've looked good in spots, and, and other times they, they've looked kind of lost. And I, I, You made reference to the fact that it's it's like a 2020 team. It's not only on defense, it, you know, special teams that, yes, there were some very noticeable – you know, lapses, giving up that, you know, 99-yard return, being the most glaring example. And extending that kind of 2020 analogy, I wouldn't consider it a good thing, but anything can and will happen with this team. I mean, we saw it on week one with that going up into Fresno, into Bulldog Stadium, and and taking it into them, especially on the ground and with a running game that really hasn't been seen since in the same, in the same way, you know, with Bam Bam Reed going over 100 yards. And, and yeah, uh, Calvin – Turner has, has been outstanding, you know, in an all-purpose sense. Um, but it hasn't quite been replicated that way. And then the next week when they stayed on the road, and yes, it is very difficult. We've seen historically when Hawaii stays on the road for back-to-back road games, what happens in that second game of the back-to-back, you know, they get shellacked at Wyoming, a team that is one and two, like their one win being over the University of Hawaii, as you said, I think held to seven points. So it's, it's been a, a bit of a uh, Jekyll and Hyde experience so far, and I would expect nothing less in 2020. Uh, UH being one <laughs> of three teams in the Mountain West to not have a league game canceled yet. Um, hopefully it stays that way with the remaining three all going, going off without a hitch. Somehow, you know, they've avoided that kind of Russian roulette, if you will, of, of these canceled games. And it's kind of amazing that there's only three to play. Yeah, it, it, I'm with you. The fact that, the, I mean, there's only three weeks left here. 
the fact that they haven't had a game canceled up to this point, I think we can just be kind of grateful as fans uh, so far this season, actually having played five games up to this point. Uh, but my real frustration with this team so far has lied with the offense. That's where my frustration sort of emanates from. And, and I think a lot of the folks that listen to the pod know that's sort of my side of the ball, right? That's, that's where I played. <laughs> I, I got to coach high school, called plays at the high school level as an offensive coordinator and just kind of watching how this team has gone about doing things has been, has been frustrating. And and in part, because what we've seen from Todd Graham in the past, right, have have been highly successful offenses. He has identified offensive play calling talent. Gus Malzahn, who's won a national championship at Auburn is a guy who was an offensive coordinator for Todd Graham at Tulsa. He's had Chad Morris at Tulsa as a guy who went on to have huge success at Clemson as an offensive coordinator. Mike Norvell, the court Florida state head coach who tore it up at Memphis. was also his offensive coordinator at Pittsburgh and Arizona state. So he's identified offensive talent in terms of the coaching side. And he's got another guy who he's very familiar with and GJ Kinney, who was a quarterback at Tulsa who played under some of those offensive minds. Who's got a ton of pro experience as well uh, as a player and a, and a, and an assistant coach. Uh, and is in his first year sort of doing this as a play caller. And I, I just don't think it's quite added up yet. It is a process. I do think that they will eventually get there, but it just hasn't gotten there yet. Uh, and we're five games in and you'd like to see some of that progress because, you know, I, I, I don't see a real identity for this offense. And you sort of alluded to it, BMAC, with the fact that, you know, there was a run, diverse and, and powerful running attack that we saw in week one. We haven't really seen that. Chevin Cordero has made big plays, but a lot of that has been outside the framework of the offense and sort of out of necessity. There's no real rhythm to this offense. And, and really without any real identity or real rhythm, you're going to kind of spin your wheels on offense for the most part and be overly reliant on big plays. And, and so you look at the personnel, right? I don't think that's the problem. I think, to be fair, the offensive line has not played up to the expectations that we had for this team coming in for a unit that brought back so much starting talent and that was really good last year. Uh, But we've seen the talent individually. We've seen it collectively going back to last season. Chevron Cordero has also shown his brilliance. He's a guy that is really good in the quick passing game. And then what he's done with his legs uh, really has bailed this team out on a number of occasions. I mean, they legitimately go seven-plus deep at wide receivers. So it's like, okay, if personnel is not the problem, you know, what is the root of the dysfunction so far for this offense? I think, you know, for G.J. Kinney and that offensive staff, they're, they're trying to figure it out. And to be a first-time play caller is, is no easy task, particularly at this level with everything going on. You didn't have a spring. You really didn't have a summer. That's going to be tough. That's going to be tough to build that rhythm, no doubt about it. Um, but they just haven't found the right combination of, of game plan, of play design, and really of play calling and, and the, the, the art that really is that overly reliant on those huge chunk plays it's sort of like modern age baseball where hey we're going to swing for the fences and we're hoping to hit four home runs every night we might strike out 15 times as a team but if we hit those four home runs we're going to be in the game and so that's that's a dangerous way to sort of exist right in college football these days uh and sometimes you're going to lay up some stinkers sometimes you're going to put up huge numbers like you did against new mexico but it doesn't allow for consistency and it puts a lot of pressure on your defense to keep you in the game when you are striking out We'll see. They, they, got a, they got a tough test here against Nevada, but I, I think what we saw BMAC late in that game where they made that comeback and had a chance to get a stop down eight um, gives a lot of people some optimism going into the final three games. We move on here, and our next topic here of our game time is the NBA. The NBA, who seemingly just finished their 2020 season a few days ago, is right back at it uh, with the draft last week, NBA free agency opening up. As well, Anthony Edwards goes number one in the 
NBA draft to Minnesota. He's a guy we saw right here in Lahaina just about a year ago, tearing it up for Georgia on their way to a seventh place finish in that tournament. Nearly lost to Chaminade, uh, but we saw a lot of what Anthony Edwards could do in his three games on the west side of Maui. James Wiseman goes number two to Golden State. LaMelo Ball, number three to Charlotte. Uh, other MIT alums in the first round, Obi Toppin of last year's runner-up Dayton goes to the Knicks at eight. Tyrese Halliburton, who we saw here two years ago of Iowa State, goes to the Kings at 12. Oregon's Peyton Pritchard, who was here as a freshman, uh, the four-year starter for the Ducks, goes to Boston at 26. Yudoka Azabuke for last year's champ, Kansas, goes to Utah at 27. Uh, BMAC, thoughts on the top three and, and the other MIT connections here in the draft? You just listed it off. Some very strong Maui Invitational representation in this draft. And quite frankly, I mean, there, there has been. It's, you know, we, we've seen the number one draft pick on Maui in consecutive years. Like, that's tough to beat, you know, between Zion and then Anthony Edwards. Like, come on. Like, that's, you know, it's a treat. And you don't expect that every year, but but shoot, I mean, seeing Anthony Edwards in person last November, like exactly this time last year, uh, you got the sense that, yeah, he had the, the credentials to go as maybe a top three guy. And that's how he was discussed basically the entire 12 months in between until the draft finally went off, you know, uh, last week. So it's, it was incredible. I mean, as you said, he had a shot to beat Shamanad in the seventh place game. And, you know, yeah, Georgia wasn't the greatest team. I mean, that was their most notable recruit in a long, long time. Uh, he just had the physical tools, and you could see it, especially probably the, the most when uh, I want to say it was the Constellation Semis against Michigan State. Yeah. And he had that 33-point second half out of, I think, 37 points total. He was just making all kinds of ridiculous shots, ridiculous plays, you know, just bodying guys and taking them off the dribble and stepping back. and popping from 30 feet it seemed like so that was a treat and you know Wiseman I think was was the logical pick for the Warriors um, you know they, they could use some dynamic play up front alongside Draymond Green and losing Clay Thompson for the season you know with that Achilles just just bites man you know you feel for a guy like that and kind of them being a potential rival to the Lakers may not pan out with Clay being out but at least they got a solid pick in Wiseman and Lamelo Ball, a guy that a lot of people thought could go number one potentially, you know, he basically will have the run of things over there in Charlotte, kind of just this moribund franchise that hasn't done anything since they were even before the the Bobcats era over there in Charlotte. So, you know, I don't couldn't even tell you off the top of my head who their second best player is, <laughs> you know, over there in Charlotte right now. So, um, all three of those guys had an argument to be number one, but I think that. The way it planned out with Edwards going to the T-Wolves, Wiseman going to the Warriors, ball to the Hornets, made the most sense to me. And it played out that way in real time. Yeah, it did. And I don't think we really had any surprises there. Maybe some surprises later in the lottery. Uh, did any particular picks stand out to you? Were, were, were you surprised by any of the, the picks? You know, maybe particularly on the, t in the top half of the first round? Jordan, I became a pretty big Obi Toppin fan after getting to watch him play there in person on Maui with, with the Dayton Flyers. And they had a claim to being a top three team pretty much all season, you know. Um, unfortunately, they didn't get a chance to settle it on the court in, in March Madness and prove just how good they were. But I think they were, they were right there as a national title contender. Obi Toppin shot, I believe, 64% from the field for the entire season. Just un unreal dunker, finisher, could shoot the three ball as well. 
Uh, they lost in overtime to Kansas for that Maui Invitational title last November. You know, I thought he had the potential to go really high, but when he, he dropped or at least didn't get picked right off the bat, I was hoping he would uh, fall to number, number 11 to uh, my San Antonio Spurs. Uh, didn't happen. He went number eight to the New York Knicks. And they've got like a already pretty crowded front court. So didn't make a whole lot of sense to me other than the fact that they are the Knicks and what they do rarely makes a whole lot of sense. Wasn't the most eye-popping draft like last year, especially, but um, especially with this kind of abridged offseason, these guys are going to get thrown into fire quickly with this, uh, was the December 22 start to the NBA season. It's going to be here before you know it, man. Uh, on that note, we transition to some of the free agency signings and the Los Angeles Lakers defending NBA champs arguably have upgraded the roster a little bit here. They lose Avery Bradley to Miami. I think it's a really good signing for the Heat as well as they bring in he and Mo Harkless. But what the Lakers do, they lock up Contavious Caldwell-Pope, maybe giving him a little bit more money than, than people would have expected. Uh, but they bring him back as well as Markeith Morris. They jettison JaVale McGee via trade. They move on from Dwight Howard, who signs elsewhere in free agency. They basically replace those two bigs with Montrez Harrell, who you not only add to your front court, but poach away from the team down the hallway in the Clippers. And then they bring over Marc Gasol, who's already won an NBA championship just a couple of seasons ago, in Toronto. Uh, that was, was big news, I think, for a Lakers team that a lot of people still peg as the favorites going into next season. Uh, other big news, uh, big moves, I should say, of note, Gordon Hayward to Charlotte. Chris Paul traded to Phoenix, Drew Holiday traded to Milwaukee, Stephen Adams and Eric Bledsoe on their way to New Orleans. Uh, your biggest takeaways, BMAC, from all of these transactions, the whirlwind. I'm not sure if Woj and Shams have slept at all since the draft. Uh, it has been crazy. I don't even know where everybody has signed. Uh, but we're going to start playing basketball, as you pointed out, in like a month. Uh, and there will be a lot of new faces and new places. No, I think, I think Woj is an android. Like, I don't even think he, you know, I'm not, I don't even know about Shams, but watching them go head to head every year this time of year is, is pretty fun, honestly. But, um, oh man, those damn Lakers. Yeah, it's pretty inarguable that they got better, you know, really strong unit based on what they had this past title season in the bubble. And, you know, I think they're going to take it easy on LeBron and AD uh, as much as they can during this regular season, especially given how fast it's happened. It's happening since they emerged from that bubble victorious. And, you you know, yes, you lose Dwight Howard, as you said, JaVale McGee, as you said, Rondo. But their pickups have been as or more impressive. And I think younger legs, generally speaking, with the exception of, of Mark Gasol, who's a little long in the tooth there. But, you know, he's, he's a championship caliber player now. He's won a ring in, in Toronto and can bring that pass first mentality to their front court. I think it'll... It'll help their ball movement and spacing quite a bit. Uh, you didn't count on a guy like like JaVale or Dwight to really make plays at all. So uh, I think he'll compliment, uh, shoot, I mean, obviously LeBron, but but AD and, and then you got a guy like Montrez maybe off the bench to just bring energy and finish and, you know, just bother guys as, you know, other than struggling in that final Clippers series this past, you know, in, in the playoffs just a, a reliable 12 to 15 point score off the bench. Like how much of a luxury is that? And then you top it off with guys like Dennis Schroeder, you know, an established player in the league could also maybe bring him off the bench, bring back KCP, Contavious, Caldwell, Pope, the Lakers, man, I hate to say it. They are very well positioned and I'm a little worried. Yeah. As, as, as a Spurs fan, I'm sure uh, as a Bulls fan, I don't have any hope. 
so it doesn't bug me that all that much. Uh, but yeah, this, this is a Lakers team that without a doubt has, I think, improved their roster. They trade away Danny Green, um, who did gave them nothing in the playoffs, uh, even with all yeah. of his experience. So I, I don't <laughs> love think Danny Green, but sorry, sorry, Danny. You're uh, I think your your prime has passed, and uh, you were fortunate to get out of that last run with a championship. Yeah, they didn't get San Antonio or even Toronto. Danny Green did the Lakers in that run this past postseason down there in the Orlando bubble. All right, we transition from the NBA hardcourt to the college basketball hardcourt. Uh, we touched a little bit on this BMAC in the warm-up, but the college basketball hoop season tips off on Wednesday in the AP poll. It's Gonzaga, Baylor, Villanova, Virginia, and Iowa, the top five in the coaches' preseason poll. It's Baylor and Gonzaga, two, Villanova, three, UVA, four, and KU, Kansas, comes in at five. That's all going to flip all over the place as this season goes on, as, as games get played. Uh, Kansas and Gonzaga set to play pretty early on in the non-conference schedule. Uh, the Maui Invitational is next week in Asheville, North Carolina. Yep, that's right. That is not a misprint, uh, but they are still scheduled to have that tournament, even if it won't take place. It's customary three days before Thanksgiving this week at the Lahaina Civic Center. Uh, BMAC, as far as I know, no non-conference games as of yet for the University of Hawaii men or women. We can get into that. The NCAA also has reportedly planned out to hold the entire NCAA tournament in one location, likely to be Indianapolis, the place uh, that is set to host the final four. Uh, so take the lead here, BMAC. You are a huge hoops guy. You're a huge college hoops guy. Uh, what is this mess of a season going to look like? Uh, and how's it going to work? How, are we, are we going to get to the finish line? Uh, short answer, yes. I think there will be a finish line because the almighty dollar demands it, dictates it. Uh, the NCAA simply cannot go another March or after potentially, depending if they have to move things back without their cash cow, that being the NCAA tournament, which basically underwrites the entire NCAA operation, all of its other arms and all of the other, you know, so-called Olympic sports depend on the NCAA tournament happening. So I think it's going to happen. It's just a matter of what kind of mess are we going to see from now until March or later. I think this is best summed up with a, qu a quote I saw from Mike Krzyzewski uh, today, this morning, which was, uh, this was the end of his quote. He said, it's a hell of a way to run a railroad. And what's conjured up in my head is, you know, some guy laying, laying down one plank of a railroad being constructed in progress as the train is moving, you know, like maybe a few planks behind and just trying to keep, keep the planks going down in front of the track as this thing is, you know, hurtling forward. And uh, that's the best analogy I can think of for, for what we're all staring at here. Uh, you know, John Rothstein had a, a statistic uh, he put up on Twitter today. So far for those Wednesday, you know, season opening games, first day of the, the new college basketball season, 17 of the 139 scheduled have been canceled. So the, the upside, I guess, if you will, is 80, 88% are still on. Yes, yeah, so, uh, maybe there's hope, or maybe that's that's disturbing, depending on your perspective. Let's remember, Jordan, this isn't college football where there's like a hundred guys on the roster. You've got twelve to fifteen guys. If three of them come down with COVID, and maybe one or two more are on the COVID watch list and can't play, you know, have to go into into isolation. That that hamstrings a team in a way that you know losing 
five to 10 guys on a football team doesn't have nearly the same effect, barring it being your, you know, your starting quarterback or something. So uh, man, it's going to be madness all the way through, I guess is the best way I can put this. We're not just going to have March madness or May madness as Rick Pitino argued on Twitter that we should now have it pushed back to May. Uh, it's going to be madness month by month, week by week. Yeah. Maybe we can find a way to trademark that and put it on a shirt or something every month madness or, or, or something along the lines. It's going to be crazy. There are going to be cancellations. I think the point by you is spot on, right? I mean, in football, you can lose 15, 20 guys. That's, that's the equivalent of like two on a basketball team. Uh, And, and, and teams are going to be scrambling and, and they're going to look to, to do their best, right? And these non-conference games, like, sure, maybe you improve your resume or something like that. But at the end of the day, they are meaningless. Like, it, it is all about getting to your conference, conference seasons, especially for the mid-majors, maybe, especially the low-majors. Uh, you know, you look at a, a conference like the Big West, it's a one-bid league in just about any year. Uh, and so just crowning a champion for the big West is, is going to be priority number one and making sure they have the teams to play the games and complete the schedule. Uh, and, and maybe we're seeing that for, from the university of Hawaii. I don't know. I don't know if you've seen anything BMAC, but, but a, a last check of the official university of Hawaii website, uh, the schedules for both the men's and the women's teams are scheduled to start uh, just after Christmas. And, and those are big West conference games. And I, I have seen nothing, not even like a, a game against HPU or, or Chaminade or anything like that on the schedule. Yeah, no, it's uh, that's more or less accurate, Jordan. I just double checked everything this morning to make sure you know we're all up to, up to date on that. Yes, none of the the local Pac West teams have posted anything because they are a logical candidate for UH to play at least once to fill out a non conference schedule. And uh, my understanding is those Pac West teams, Shamanad, Hawaii Hilo, uh, and um, HPU are, are going to play each other like six times each. You know, the three local Pac West teams, D two here just to fill out their schedule. So we'll see if UH can, can manage some crossover there. But uh, I do know of one game, Jordan, one D1 opponent, at least right now scheduled to come here based on what they've posted on their website, uh, that being Alcorn State, uh, you know, the HBCU team. Uh, they've been here on occasion in the past, and they currently have a December 13 date scheduled at the Stan Sheriff Center right now. To my knowledge, that is the only one that has been posted besides the Big West games, of course, because the full Big West schedule, 20 games, has been posted. Um, right now, UH being one of three teams in the 11-team Big West on the men's side to not have posted any of their their new, their revised uh, non-conference schedule. And that's unfortunate for Hawaii because, you know, they're going to have all kinds of trouble getting teams to come here or figuring out where they can go just all the logistical problems you can imagine. It's got to be a nightmare. I feel for Jesse Nakanishi and, you know, really the whole staff of Coach Gannat trying to figure this out on short notice because ironically, and I don't say it, the word ironically lightly, I try to avoid it at all costs. They were one of the first in this crazy, like hellish landscape of a year to come out with their full non-conference schedule. I think they were like number 17 out of the 357 Division I teams to do it. And they, they had their full schedule out like in the first week or two of any team in the country having a schedule. And it's all mixed. You know, you got the Diamond Head Classic falling apart. You got your season opener against Washington State, getting a Pac-12 team, Washington State, to come here for the Rainbow Classic. That's next. Like the Pac-12 was what, like one of the first leagues to cancel 
across the board. So like I said, I feel for those guys and um, you know, I don't know what, what they're going to have when all this dust settles. And, you know, I haven't even heard anything on the women's side for the university of Hawaii, Jordan, besides the fact that Cal state Northridge women have the program has bowed out entirely for this, uh, this season because of the lack of numbers, half the team opted out, you know, the student athlete, clause that they could opt out for COVID concerns. They didn't have the numbers at all, so they just are not doing it. Yeah, it's going to be tough, and if we're learning anything from the football season, uh, games could be rescheduled on like two days' notice. And in basketball, yeah. like it might even be the next day, right? If, if you're in Southern California and UCLA's got a game canceled, like why don't you just call Long Beach State and say we'll play later tonight or something like that? I think we could be seeing some of those kind of events in this crazy 2020-2021 season. All right, our Domino's Hawaii main topping back here with our guy, Brian McInnes, formerly of the Honolulu Star Advertiser, former beat writer for men's and women's basketball at the University of Hawaii, the women's soccer program as well. Uh, currently the, coast, uh, the host, I should say, of the Court Sense podcast available wherever you find your podcast. Basically, anywhere you find our podcast, you can find BMAC's podcast as well. It, BMAC, I will say, I got to say, it has been quite enjoyable to listen to all the interviews that you have, it is a very interview-based program that you have put together. Very insightful. Uh, I've really enjoyed uh, a handful of the interviews that you have put together uh, with with everybody from mayoral candidates to former University of Hawaii greats to media members uh, to agents within the game. It has been a lot of fun. Uh, you have also come over here to handle the Maui Invitational over the course of the year. So we will get to some of those memories. But, uh, yeah, tell us a, a bit about the, the podcast that you've endeavored upon over this COVID quarantine era. No, thank you, Jordan. I uh, appreciate the kind words. But, but first let me say, you know, if I opened a box of pizza and I discovered that I was the main topping, I, I might have to, you know, that thing might meet a quick uh, – <laughs> quick uh path to the wastebasket i'm in like anchovies or, or pineapple on a hawaiian pizza depending on what you like the least but no no i appreciate it man it's it's awesome to uh to be here like i said and, and uh yeah it's it's been a fun ride doing doing the court sense podcast it you know kind of came about soon maybe a few weeks after after you guys launched your let's talk sports pod i mean kanoa um to his credit you know he kind of nudged me a few times in the past, like, Hey man, you, you know, think about doing a podcast, bringing on some guests, talking college hoops or whatever. And, uh, that, that kind of was the origin story. And, um, yeah, reaching out to a bunch of old players, you know, coaches, as you said, I've tried to diversify it, change it up, you know, every few weeks, maybe content wise or subject wise, but it, it's just been great. You know, I'm not actively in the sports media anymore. So it's, it's been a, a real way for me to connect with folks and kind of keep you know, one hand back in that, that former life now, if you will, might have a new full-time job in the media in the near future, not in sports. I'll maybe have more to say on that uh, at a later time, but it's, uh, it's been a crazy year like we talked about, and um, it's, it's been one mechanism to retain my sanity, no doubt about that. Yeah, and, and you uh, have done a terrific job with it. Uh, your background is in writing. Uh, you mentioned, you know, we may we may see you in a different role here shortly. Excited for for some possibilities there. But uh, kind of tell us about how you got into the sports writing um, business, if you will. Uh, you are a 
Kailua High School graduate of a few years ago, uh, University of Hawaii as well. But uh, sort of sort of tell us how this path has kind of led you to this point. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, my passion was in writing, Jordan. Like that's that's kind of how I, you know, coming up through through the high school years and uh, writing some essays here and there and like AP U.S. history or um, you know English even you know straight English class wasn't actually my my best subject. I I kind of did better when I could apply writing on kind of you know uh, adjacent subjects, but. Eventually, that that kind of became a opportunity to write for the Kaleo o Hawaii student newspaper at University of Hawaii. Uh, when I still hadn't declared a major, you know, didn't know what I wanted to do. I tried out my hand at uh, the surf writer student newspaper at Kailua, but uh, still didn't know if that's, you know, what I wanted to spend the, the first half of my kind of working years of my life doing. And um, really liked it at, at Kaleo. You know, I was lucky enough to be able to to actually write about UH basketball for that. Uh, it was the 2003-04 season. Uh, I had watched the, as we talked about earlier on the pod, the 01-02 team go to the NCAA tournament. And I just thought to myself, man, it would be cool to like write about those guys on a day-to-day basis. You know, that, that was really my impetus to walk mm-hmm. through the doors at Kaleo a couple years later and shoot. Um, just got really lucky along the way. Uh, did a part-time gigs at both the advertiser and then the star bulletin before they emerged. Luckily enough, the, the star bulletin had a uh, full-time opening for both actually me and Billy Hull on the same day when Al Chase retired. So uh, again, just really fortunate. And then, you know, no one expected the star bulletin be, to be the one to buy out the advertiser. Like who saw that coming? I mean, with like, you know, half of the, of the circulation and uh, a shoestring kind of budget. So that happened like we were as stunned as I'm sure the advertiser people were unfortunate. Like not everyone could have a job after that. And I was, you know, the young guy on the Hawaii basketball beat um, trying to represent the, you know, main um, daily newspaper in the state. So it, uh, I learned a lot along the way, you know, it, it was uh, <laughs> starting from being almost the same age to the players I was covering to a guy in his mid thirties, uh, it was quite a ride, you know, almost got laid off a couple of times before <laughs> finally did get laid off this summer, uh, along with a bunch of other people at the star advertiser, unfortunately. Um, crazy ride, man. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there, there have been a number of moments over that whole span where I kind of got to sit back and, you know, whether it was a, a, a crazy finish at the Stan Sheriff center or getting to watch a guy like, you know, Jim or Fredette up, up close, uh, just launching bombs. Uh, on the SSC court for BYU, uh, you know, a guy who, who was the, the talk of the college basketball mm-hmm. world that year. And um, just the Diamond Head Classic has been great. Obviously going to Maui has been phenomenal, as we talked about. It's uh, it's left me with a bunch of pretty indelible moments going to, shoot, going to China on an international tour with Gib Arnold's crazy team in 2011. <laughs> That's something I'll never forget for a number of reasons. And of course, going to the NCAA tournament in 2016, man, um, with that tr- kind of that transitional year after uh, Gib Arnold got fired and then Benji Taylor nearly got him to the NCAAs in 2015. Coach Gannott comes in, takes over, applies the right touch, the right, you know, basically made all the right moves, pushed all the right buttons for that talented group of guys to get them over the hump, get them to the NCAA and win a game. Um, 
you know, people can say what they will about that Cal team kind of sabotaging itself before they could even get on the court. They had a bunch of issues going on, but UH is the one who, you know, they did what they had to do and won that game convincingly. And we'll never, you know, have another first like that in program history, first NCAA tournament win. Yeah, I got to do that for a living for a good dozen years and, uh, and feel pretty privileged to have done so. Yeah, a lot of great moments, uh, a lot of great coverage by you. Um, but the coming back from China in one piece with that Gib Arnold trip <laughs> might be your most impressive accomplishment uh, in your time covering that program, no doubt about it. Uh, you mentioned the My Invitational, and, and I definitely want to touch on that before we move on here. Um, you know, what, what was it about the tournament? Do you have some memories that sort of stand out above all else? We've been treated the last couple of years to just magic. I mean, just absolute pandemonium with that Duke and Zaga final two years ago, all of the lottery picks that happened to be on the floor at one time. Then this year's final, or excuse me, last year, I guess 2019 now, but this past season with Dayton and Kansas and, and that rocking gym, uh, and so it's, it's hard to even like remember before that, but there were some unbelievable players and teams that came through. Um, but what are some memories that maybe stand out for you from, from covering that thing? Gosh, well, I'll start with Chaminade because, you know, they are the, uh, the mm-hmm. bell of the ball, uh, the Cinderella and they held that up. They, I mean, they upheld that kind of ethos, that reputation by knocking off teams like Texas they ran roughshod over Cal a couple of years ago. Um, they have claimed, you know, some victims when I've been right there for it. And that was pretty cool. You know, they don't bring the, bring the biggest crowd over there, but all the neutral fans, you know, reliably get behind the silver swords when there's an upset brewing and man, you know, you've been there um, more times, way more than I have. And it, there's nothing quite like it, you know, seeing the, if not, to the degree of a Chaminade, Virginia upset, at least having like ghosts of those days coming mm-hmm. into the Lahaina Civic Center and inhabiting the current players and roles with the David versus Goliath. And those will always be some of my favorite moments over there. Um, it, we've seen it to every other year. The fields have been terrific. This year's field was supposed to be great again. It's going to take place in Asheville, which is a huge bummer for all kinds of reasons, economic, the least of which, right? Uh, with the money that that thing brings in. But uh, in your brain, I'm, I'm biased. I grew up going to that thing. We're, we're so lucky here on Maui. I mean, just ridiculously spoiled. Uh, but what is it about that tournament that, that sort of just stands out, right? It, to me, it still is sort of the premier non-conference tournament early season in college basketball. What is it, having gone to that thing now and covered it for a number of years, that, that, that makes it such? It's, it's really the full package. I mean, one, you got all these teams coming so far, you know, a field of, of where they're based, based. Even the West Coast teams, you know, they're flying five hours to get out here. And, and yet it still is able to draw some of these blue bloods from the East Coast. Um, you know, Kentucky has, has been the one notable exception in recent years. But still you get, you know, uh, Duke reliably, uh, Kansas reliably, Michigan State reliably. Syracuse until a few years ago I mean it it has the pedigree it's become like a self-fulfilling success story I think in in the sense that these teams want to come and participate because these teams want to come and participate (laughs) like it's you know it's kind of a like I said self-fulfilling enterprise there and 
And of course it has the, the notable origin story, the David versus Goliath, Chaminade, Virginia game that was played at the Blaisdell Arena. But the quality of play ha- has been consistent, relatively unmatched. There have been, you know, occasional tournaments that have rivaled it in any rivaled it in any given single year. I mean, you got the battle for Atlantis maybe being the most prominent competitor for the tournament right now. Even the Diamond Head Classic, you know, while not having the same degree of firepower, has had pretty good singular years um, that it can, you know, point back and look to teams like top four teams like Oklahoma coming down. So I'm not saying it's in the same class and will be anytime soon, but granted this year's Diamond Head was one of the stronger fields probably they would have had. Maui has been in its own category and I don't see that changing anytime soon. I mean, I think they'll, they'll come back next year beyond Maui, pick up right where they left off, you know, Maui gym, hopefully being the, the sponsor again, instead of uh, what is it? Camping world. Camping right world. That's for, right. For Asheville, North Carolina. Um, it, it just has, it has the visuals. It has the atmosphere, the line of civic center, 20, 2,400 seats. Like I said, shaking to its foundation when the crowd is right. Uh, a neutral atmosphere where at least on paper half and half split fan bases that always ends up changing depending on the bigger fan bases buying out, you know, scalped tickets from, from whoever's offering them up. So the, the place just, you know, it shakes, it resonates. And uh, once you've sat through a few of those, there, there's really nothing else you can, I mean, it's almost impossible to replicate. I would think just about anywhere. Yeah. It's something special to it for sure. Uh, BMAC, we appreciate you sharing some of your memories there. Uh, that does it for the Domino's Hawaii main topic postgame coming up. All right, time now for our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii, Maui's premier full-service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial, construction, and residential use. Family owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community. Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit wasteprohawaii.com for services and information. All right, BMAC, our best and our worst. Uh, we, we had to keep you around for this one for sure. So uh, <laughs> I, I think you're familiar with how this works. Uh, what do you got for, uh, what do you want to start with, best or worst? We'll, we'll let you make the call. I'll go with worst first. Okay, off. let's go with the worst. We'll end it on the best. I like that. Well, I mean, we talked quite a bit of UH football in this pod, and my worst has to be, as I said, sitting down watching the game on my couch as opposed to being there at Aloha Stadium and then having uh, a touchdown happen during commercial break. I'm like, wait, did I, did I like forget that that happened right before they went to commercial? What, what just happened? Like Boise State was suddenly up 33-9, to nine, I believe, in the middle of the third quarter. <laughs> they ran in like an 11-yard touchdown or something. I think it was pretty effortless too if I, once I saw the replay. But I'm like, oh, come on, man like CBS Sports Network. And I heard after the fact that it wasn't like that on their mainland broadcast for whatever reason. Here, we locally missed the touchdown when others didn't. I I can't verify that. That's just what I heard. But yeah, come on. That's inexcusable. Yeah, it was. (laughs) Same thing happened to us when we were watching it here at my house. And uh, next thing you know, they were kicking an extra point coming back from a commercial. uh, And it made no sense. There were some issues on the broadcast. Some of the graphics didn't quite line up. 
the, the, the down in yardage to go also was all over the place. Uh, it was it was not great for UH football fans. The, the first game of the year had some pay-per-view issues. Some people actually didn't get to watch the game. So it's been a little quirky this season uh, on the broadcast. But, yeah, that, that, that uh, CBS Sports Network, I fully endorse your worst there. Uh, my worst, Theo Epstein, my guy in Chicago out as the president of baseball operations. Wasn't exactly a secret that Theo had an end date in mind when he took the job. It was presumably kind of a 10-year commitment, which would have come after next season. Uh, and it wasn't a well-kept secret there in Chicago. I thought he had one more year. I thought I thought there was one year left there in Chicago. Nine seasons at the helm of sort of the front office for the Cubs. Five playoff teams, three division titles, one World Series, that magical, just a memorable 2016 team. Uh, he's forever a hero in Chicago. He's forever a hero in Boston. The guy's got it wired. He's made all kinds of money. He's, he's ready for another act in his life. Likes to play music. Has a great foundation. I think he's going to find a way back into baseball. Maybe not right away, but eventually down the line. Uh, knew this day was coming, but still sad to see him go. Probably also the first domino to fall in what will be a massive restructuring of the Cubs roster. Maybe the end of an era there for the Chicago Cubs. As good an era since like the 19-teens probably the 19 aughts uh, over 120 years. So Theo Epstein done in Chicago. Uh, I am bummed about that, but uh, forever grateful as a Cubs fan that Theo, one of the main reasons the Cubs ended the curse four years ago. You ended the drought, my friend. Oh man. Anytime I see Theo, man, I'm buying him a beer. That is for sure. I'll buy him a beverage. All right. Our best BMAC. What is our best to close out this show? Yeah, something that really lifted my spirits when I saw it the other day, that being that when the annual uh, National Sports Media Association picks nominees for, there's a sports writer and sports caster of the year awards they hand out annually, and they do it by state. So when they came out with the Hawaii nominees, I was really uh, heartened to see that uh, my good friend Christian Shimabuku, uh, a young up-and-comer, with uh, KHON now, he was a part-timer at the Star Advertiser when I was there. Uh, he was nominated for one of the two finalist spots, along with uh, Stephen Sy, the in- incumbent, who does a little bit of everything, obviously, for the Star Advertiser. Uh, Christian getting a chance to go toe-to-toe with a, you know, a mainstay like that, I think is pretty awesome. And, and uh, there's going to be great things to come from young Shimabuku in the future, so people should definitely uh, pay attention to his work. Yeah, congrats to, to Christian. Uh, we all love Steven. He's won it a handful of times already. Uh, so I am rooting for the underdog here. I don't, I don't think I get a vote, but I am rooting for Christian. No, no question. No uh, question. We, I'm even sure Steven wouldn't mind uh, if the young buck got one. Our buddy Rob Coleus of the Maui News was a finalist last year for the award. Uh, in the Sportscaster of the Year that you mentioned, uh, the two finalists there, Rob DeMello, Boo of KHON. I only, I only kid. Uh, Rob's our guy, uh, one of our favorites. But he is going up against another heavyweight, uh, Kanoa Leahy, the namesake of this here podcast. So uh, shout out to Kanoa, uh, who's uh, looking to win it. He, he's won it before. This is old hat for him. Um, so that, that uh, does give us an opportunity to shout out a couple of our guys, including uh, Kanoa there. My best, speaking of announcers being dudes, I don't know if you saw this, BMAC. I, I saw it on Golf Digest. Jim Nance, who happens to live like right off of Pebble Beach, because why not, right? He's He's got that kind of cash to afford that kind of real estate. Um, called a random guy's tee shot on number 14, the par four, 
at Pebble Beach while out for a casual walk. Uh, Nance was just sort of out taking a stroll, right? Getting his exercise in, getting his steps in. Uh, and then, uh, this guy, Andrew, I don't even know Andrew's last name, posted the clip. Uh, Nance took the phone out, recorded it for him, voiced it over like he was calling a tee shot at, at the U.S. Open or something like that. It, it, quote, oh, that is raw strength after the tee shot. Uh, quote, and he absolutely savages one around the corner. Adds that uh, Andrew will have a chance to get home in two on that beastly par five, I should say, not par four. And that, quote, he leads Woods and Kepka by one in the final round. Like, talk about fairy tale, like, dream stuff. You go out, you play Pebble. I don't know if Andrew's ever played Pebble before. Um, but to have Jim Nance sort of happen by and then call your tee shot, like, I would have put that thing in the bushes, the trees, the ocean. I don't know. I probably would have whiffed. Uh, if I had an opportunity to have Jim Nance call my tee shot playing Pebble Beach, that that is pretty cool stuff. So uh, tip of the cap to Nance there. That's pretty cool. I'll uh, keep playing random courses around Oahu just on the off chance that, you know, he's on vacation or something and he just happens to be there. There you go. There you go. That is awesome stuff. AB Mac, that sort of brings us to the end of this episode. It has been a lot of fun. Uh, once again, our first ever guest host of the Let's Talk Sports podcast. So, Brian, we'll, uh, we'll do this again soon. Uh, hopefully, I get to see you in person soon. It has been far too long. Uh, keep up the great work. Looking forward to uh, what the future has in store for you, my man. Hey, this was a blast, Jordan. I, I am honored. And uh, everyone, keep listening to the Let's Talk Sports podcast. Kanoa, get back here soon, man. And again, a reminder to check out BMAC on Twitter at Brian underscore McKinnis, as well as the Court Sense podcast. You can find that anywhere you get your pods as well as ESPN Honolulu and the sideline Hawaii app. BMAC, take care, man. See you, Jordan.